It's things like there should be more Nagra material with all that great material where they're singing, you know, Mrs. Parker or these these songs that be like, why, why aren't they on here? And there's two reasons. A, they don't sound very good and they're not very great, very good performances. And B, we're making a six hour film anyway on Disney Plus, which 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 it's much better if you can see the people making asses of themselves than just listen to one on a 30 second snippet of a Nagra tape. It's much yeah. better if you can do that. And we do talk about, listen, going to the professional side of stuff, you talk about, okay, how many CDs can we fit in a box set, you know, and how can they, how can you make it value for people? And so what's my limit of tracks? And actually, it's chicken egg because they go, how many stuff, how much stuff do you want to put on there? And I try and put as much stuff as I can to fit it on and then take off the stuff that I think, would you listen to this more than once? That's the thing. Would I actually bother listening to this more than once? You know, or does it, this, is this telling a story of everything? Welcome this week's Monday with Fab. I'm Ed Chin. And I'm John Stone. Last night, well, last night for us, Paul inducted the Foo Fighters into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. Steve, Taylor, Nate, Pat, Chris, and Robbie. Woo! All the members of the Foo Fighters. So, here they are tonight. I was just saying to them in the dressing room, guys, this is it. You're here. In Cleveland, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And tonight, you're going to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm currently reading Dave Grohl's book about his life, Storyteller, and there seems to be a real friendship between Paul and Dave. Yeah, there's a story about how Paul actually sent him a a bunch of baby stuff after Dave Grohl had his first child. And he was surprised that he knew it, some of this stuff. Yeah, I haven't finished the book, but it's clear. that. And, and, And both of them, you know, made very nice noises at each other. About how they loved each other and right. so on and so forth. But then during what used to be the jam, now which is now really just sort of people getting up in various combinations and playing together, uh, they bought Paul up for Get Back. Yeah, and it was uh, a decent version. The Foos did real well. Yeah. <laughs> the, their playing was much better, and l- they stuck to the script, as it were. Right. I was kind of half fearing that they would be 
taking it off slightly in a rockier direction. Which they could do easily, <laughs> but Dave kind of did John's part on the vocals. It was, it was pretty cool. I never took lessons to learn how to play music. You know what I had? I had a Beatles songbook, a Beatles record, and a record player. And so everything I learned about rock and roll was from this man right here. I mean, he's, my, he's my music teacher right there. That's it. There were some rocky moments in Paul's performance. It's kind of a high note at this point, a sustain. The first half of the song, Paul was very much looking to be finding his voice. <laughs> right. By the time he really got into it, it never quite sounded perfect but it did sound better on the back half of the song i think live performance and 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 as we both said before he's 79 years old and it may take him a a few minutes i don't know the last time you saw him in concert but i saw him some years back and whereas there are a couple of moments for the most part he still has a great voice so the last time i saw him uh was in arlington on his last tour through i've seen pretty much every tour since 89 there was a period there where he was really having some problems with his voice and he seems to have picked up a little bit from there and you know through 19 the last four or five years that he was touring it's pretty steady yeah yeah he does pretty pretty well as long as you let maybe i'm amazed and one or two others okay uh, <laughs> yeah yeah we, we know paul but right. please don't try oh woman oh why <laughs> <laughs> but i mean you know i was talking to someone about the 76 tour you know you listen to wings over america you listen to rock show it was a different voice problem but you could hear the cigarettes in his vocals on those tours yeah i guess i mean you could hear the cigarettes in john lennon's voice in 63 well this is true but i mean you could hear some sort of uh, slight degradation and that's why i think he actually sounded better in 89 than he did in 76 it was certainly more a well-tuned machine in later years whereas you know in 76 wings was still kind of a young group punk was going on and so it's like it's cool to be not quite so perfect <laughs> right <laughs> you'll lose fans if you're too good Go and look for the video on YouTube. Yes, there's several, yeah, there's lots of different copies in, and I'm sure it will be showing up on HBO when they actually air the whole ceremony. <laughs> and how much you want to bet that Paul is going to have a hand in the remix? <laughs> I won't take that bet. <laughs> <laughs> That's first off, and it also doesn't help that we spent the last couple of weeks listening to Paul and his prime doing Get Back. Yeah, that does make a difference. So the next thing uh, we wanted to bring up a little bit here is, you know, we had this whole big thing last week about, well, why did the Japanese have a different mix of the Glenn Johns disc? Yeah. I mean, the fact that in this day and age, why different countries have different mixes of things didn't make any sense. But tell them. (laughs) Someone on the Beatles blog seems to have come up with at least a feasible solution. And, And there's lots of interesting extra details he came up with yeah living in the digital age and there are apparently several things available so deep in the heart of covid in april of 2020 universal actually sent out an in-house announcement to all of their regional distribution places and they said coming in on the 4th of september would be a let it be box and the contents of that box were a giles martin remix the glenn johns mix 
the full rooftop concert. Some people won't be happy to hear that. <laughs> a disc of outtakes and then a Blu-ray. Right. And I kind of recall hearing that light up in the early days. Uh, and when we have to remember, that was when this was still a theatrical project. Right. So, you know, there was, there was going to be a 90-minute to two-hour film from Peter Jackson, and we'd all go to the theater and watch it, and it wouldn't be what it became. <laughs> it's funny how this project is kind of reminiscent of the original. The original, yeah. <laughs> it's like, we're not really sure what we're doing at this point. It's in a constant state of evolution. Yeah, well, exactly. And and as we, as we get into some of these outtakes, well, we will get a definite sense of deja vu, I believe. <laughs> right. <laughs> COVID happened. Everything changed. It became a Disney Plus project. Peter Jackson's Get Back. And apparently part of the deal Apple made with Disney Plus was they gave them exclusive rights to the rooftop in its entirety for a period of time, of course. Right. So it got dropped. Exactly. But what that has to do with the various mixes showing up is apparently EMI opened up their server to the local folks so they could download a copy and they could preview what would be in this box set. There's right. distinct codes which go along with each track and each mix and where it's supposed to be right what is believed happened is that the japanese went ahead and you know downloaded copies of the masters at the time when it was still a you know four disc plus blu-ray box set with the full rooftop concert yeah so and, if they have it then it may not matter what the official release plans are if somebody has it it could get out. And then after everything changed and after they came out with the second track listing, you know, someone may just not have been paying attention, particularly since we're really only talking about the SHM version of the CD, you know, not even the primary version of the CD in Japan. Right. So certainly we know what AIFFs look like. You double or triple the size just because, you know, obviously they want everyone to be putting out bitrate equivalent to the masters. Right. They downloaded the original version. Oh, we still got to hit this here. Oh, well, we don't want to spend an extra hour to re-download this. It's the same disc. Ignoring the fact that... <laughs> that it wasn't really. <laughs> that it wasn't really. So I, I guess, you know, the question is, is this something that was discovered as a mistake or did they know it all along and just went on with it? Well, that's a good question. And I mean, we don't know. And they certainly haven't admitted to making a mistake. <laughs> right. Because nobody does. <laughs> exactly. So that's at least a partial answer. And it sounds reasonable to me to our big question from last week. Why in the heck are there multiple versions of this thing out there? Right. So the answer is there's the big mother cloud and it's all up there. You just have the right code to download it. You know, that goes back to the business of the Red and Blue albums. Why does the American Help have the James Bond intro when they, they didn't want any country to have a unique version of the Red and Blue album? But the Americans huh. use their master, so. Right. Each nation decides what works in their country. and Even though it's supposed to be the same thing. Right. And I mean, if they really wanted it to be unified across, they could just absolutely force each country. You're going to put this out. You're going to put out our version and you're going to download it at the time right then at least if there's any mistakes there'll be global mistakes some of this may be just the joy of collecting rare stuff <laughs> you have to create it before it's collectible so this week we're moving on to disc two what they refer to as the apple sessions yes and, and we covered glenn john's mix last week last week 
And, you know, I just felt like I get this album now better than I ever did. In listening to this particular CD, I get even more what the idea was. And there are some songs in this that really lend themselves to that. And we'll cover that individually. But I, I like this disc. It's fun. Oh, I, I love this disc. I mean, this, this is in a lot of ways sort of the ideal Glenn Johns mix to my mind. Yeah, I agree. Well, I mean, there's some good takes, but they're not always quite the one, as George Martin would have put it. The next one will be the one. But this was more fun. This was actually sitting watching this band play music for the joy of making music. You know, not everything's perfect. Not everything's worked out, but it it feels really good. And as we discussed last week, for a significant chunk of time, the whole idea was to have an audio counterpart to the visual release. And this is that. Yeah. There's more talking and it's more the sessions, a view of what was going on than what the project ended up being. My only complaint, 40 minutes and 53 seconds. It's a short disc. Even for an LP, it's a short disc. Yeah, it's a disc, really. I mean, 40 minutes is kind of what goes on an album, a vinyl album. But they could have, you know, (laughs) there's no reason to create this like a vinyl album necessarily. I mean, they could have had another 15 to 20 minutes and still had it match up on the vinyl. Yeah, well, yeah. You can easily get 30 minutes on a side now without running into the issues with the grooves and having to take the bass down and all those things yeah. from the old days. I could have used a bit more, but I'm not real sure what more you could have had. I mean, what songs would you add to this? And if you're not adding songs and you're adding 15, 20 minutes of chat. Which wasn't real successful with the fly on the wall disc and naked. Right. I mean, and the chat that's on here is pretty cool. It says some things that talking about their works in progress and what they were doing. Hopefully this will give us a feel for what we're going to get from the Peter Jackson thing. Right. Here's just a little taste of it. Right. A hint for the folks who haven't figured it out yet. The tracks that are listed as mono, those are tracks from the Nagras. Right. Those are stuff coming from Twickenham, basically. Yeah. They also were running the Nagras during the entire time at Apple, don't forget. Yeah, but I look at the speeches that are there and when they might have happened, it all seems uh, like it would be from Twickenham. They wanted to stick to what was on the, the eight tracks, but they did still occasionally pull up things from the Nagras. And it's also kind of interesting that we have the Nagras. We know where exactly things fall within the day when they were recording on the eight tracks. Right. Which take occurs where. It's been highly documented, so we know where everything comes from. (laughs) Exactly. So the disc starts with morning camera, you know, Ringo saying hi to the cameras. Right. And this comes, comes from fairly early on. Yeah. Morning, morning, everybody. Another bright day. Morning, camera. A great way to open it up. But this isn't an album, so (laughs) not like you need some dramatic opening. But I think the first thing that comes up is an early take. Take four of two of us, but we also start with a little bit of of a false start. Yeah. But, I mean... Nothing much has changed from what we'll get later. Two of Us was a fairly developed song, I think. There's a difference in the opening guitar, the little riff. And, you know, this early version, uh, 
the way it's being played kind of makes the song move forward earlier. You know, it's a da 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 da. And it's a slightly faster tempo, I think. Right. And John's doing his Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah, but it's still recognizably the song that it is to become. Yes, for sure. Uh, you know, there are certain George parts that are not quite worked out. You know, it's clearly not the take. I think Paul starts too early in a spot. and It's fun. It's loose, but well executed. They're playing a song, but it's still, you know, basically they're jamming along yeah. to the song. Then that goes into Maggie Mae. It's a different version of Maggie Mae. It's a fair bit more skiffle than what we get on some of the later versions right and it collapses pretty early you know they don't don't do the second verse like they do on the let it be album or the bridge i guess you'd call it it's very short goes right into an old song of theirs fancy Uh, me chances fancy me chances with chew which again is played more or less as a jam here knowing now what i know rather than this one i wish they would have worked thinking of linking because that song just seems to have a, a thing to it that the other early songs don't have. That opening guitar thing. Well, I'll be thinking of linking my life with you. Thinking of linking our love so true. Thinking of linking And now I'm talking about a song that some people may not even know. Look it up. Paul certainly mentioned it in 321. Yeah. And I think uh, he and George and Ringo played it. In the Threedle session. Right. I like it. I like the way it, you know, it has a good feel and has that opening guitar thing. So it's a little bit more developed, perhaps. You got John and Paul singing in harmony here. So, right. Which is also, you know, anytime that happens, that's always great fun. Right. Then that moves into to Can You Dig It is a different part of Dig It. It's not the list part. You know, it's more sort of the jam part of the song. Yeah. <laughs> Rock and roll. <laughs> it's not my favorite thing that they've ever done, but there it is. And we Georgie Wood, he was actually, that's not just a name John picked up. That, that was actually a, a British, uh, well, sort of film star, a child <laughs> star when the Beatles were coming up. i didn't know that i know that now you know that now yeah you know one thing i'm always amazed at is is all the stuff in lennon's head that just comes out he just has a a way of just kind of saying stuff and that then leads into the first really kind of interesting chat here that was can you dig him by georgie wood and now we'd like to do all the angels come. All 
see what happens when we just groove into the music. The whole place changes. And that, if we're doing them well on the day, without anything, it should come over. We've got to do it, you know. Yeah. Project it. And if we... I don't know why I'm moaning. <laughs> it's not, it's just... Uh, you want the, to know the last number, you know, day in the life. The things that have worked out best ever for us haven't really been planned any more than this has. You just go into something and it does it itself, you know, whatever it's going to be, it becomes that. You know. See, it's turned down <coughs> that for that, and it's not what Paul wants, like, you know, it was. It's like if it's his, say it's his number this whole show, well it's turned he's compromised so he's actually turned into our number more than his number. That's all. Yeah, and that's, and, uh, that's all right. Yeah, that's it's all right, but I mean that's what's bugging you really because it's a different number. You know, it's turned into a rock number right? as opposed to a quiet number or something. You know, like that. And uh, it's just that really. John and George. And Paul, you know, talking about what's going on. I don't know what song they're talking about, though. It seems to me that the the thing is, John is kind of taking the position on whatever song they're talking about that McCartney is unhappy because, you know, he has a vision of what the song was, but the band has come up with something else. You know, that's the band. You know, at the end, he goes, it's all right, but that's what's bugging you. They weren't following Paul's vision. And John was well into the idea of the live show. You know, he, that's the first thing. That's how he sort of leads into this. He says, you know, if we're doing it well, and he's talking about doing it well live, it right. should come over and the audience would follow them. Right. Uh, I think George says something like, you know, the, the things that have worked out best for them haven't ever really been planned. Well, I mean, of course, what wasn't there was Brian. You know, it may not have been planned by the Beatles, but Brian and then to a slightly lesser extent, George Martin certainly had a picture of this vision. I think the whole thing basically is that they didn't have a vision of what it was, you know, because it was just going to be them rehearsing. Started off, let's do some songs from the White Album and no, let's do our own stuff. But clearly that was not the same conversation that was we're going to do songs from the white album and sometime down the road it was let, let's just bring in some new songs and then it was like are, you know so we're doing those and mccartney asks are we doing an album is that what we're doing or are we just because he sees it as a difference between doing the songs or rehearsing things so that they're doing a show i guess this is probably pretty early chat this is probably twickenham chat it's before george left so you know we're talking about the first week Right. Certainly two of us, they were doing then. John talked about him wanting it to be a a soft song, but it's come out rock. Is that two of us? And, and once that was said, then they said, well, let's go back to what Paul wants. <laughs> uh, and maybe are they talking about the fast version of two of us? Yeah. The one we all want that's not on this disc. <laughs> right. And maybe that was the one that John and George wanted, perhaps. I don't know. That's all supposition. Listen to it yourself. Make your own decisions. Yeah, right. Because, well, they, they've decided to leave this kind of ambiguous. Yeah. And Paul says, I don't know why I'm moaning, which I <laughs> think is funny. 
Although I'm sure he did actually know why he was. <laughs> You're not doing my song the way I want you to. What he was complaining about. So that then moves on to uh, take four of For You Blue. Yeah, I, I like the version. It's nice, but I don't know if it's the mixing or the way John's playing. His slide just makes you you know, feel slightly disoriented, almost slightly seasick. Yeah, he's not on the beat sometimes but in the second half of the lead he plays the first half and on the record that's when the keyboards kick in but he's doing a real high chord on that slide which i was like i'm sorry he dropped that (laughs) that was really cool but this clearly isn't the version it's not ready for prime time but it's definitely worth listening to it's just yeah beware (laughs) beware because it, it might make you a little bit dizzy you know, to me, I think the George's vocal is more relaxed. You know, there's a kind of a natural way he's singing it. It's not quite as regimented as the vocal that's on the record. And I like this vocal better, but that's just me being picky. We don't know what was on what track or whether they could have even possibly lifted the vocal and put it with the final, but of course, Spectre again. Yeah, I don't know how it was recorded. That sounded lovely. And and then uh, I guess Giles decided to allow all the Glennis name drops to stay in. Of course, they said it every two minutes, just about. But uh, because again, the name Glenn or Glennis shows up frequently on this disc. <laughs> yeah. Does this guitar sound in tune, Glenn? The thing is that if we are going to just use any of these for the masters, then it's, uh, well, they, you know, they just may. I, I noticed George questioned uh, Glenn about, are the guitars in tune? Is this guitar tune? You know, which kind of goes to my thinking when I first heard these in bootleg, I thought these guitars aren't in tune. And yet, you know, I listened to this and it's like, yeah, it's in tune. I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah, this is then followed by uh, actually sort of a really pretty neat medley. And they've got a couple of kind of cool medleys here. So you you start with, they're talking a little bit about Let It Be, and then that goes into Please Please Me. Right, on keyboards, you know. On keyboards, yeah. Paul Paul playing the, the piano. Last night I said these words to my girl. You know you always make side girl Come on Come on Come on Okay Come on, I only get two notes in this song <laughs> When it gets to the come on part you can hear they don't quite you know remember they're kind of fudging some of the stuff and right at the point where they were just getting ready to have the big train wreck paul goes okay (laughs) (laughs) these two pieces didn't go together originally the let it be and the please please me were recorded separately both on the 25th of january 1969 the a track is new although we do have the whole session on the naggers you know again that's what i was saying earlier it's like it's great to actually get the 
studio versions of all this stuff, but it's also great that we have the Nagras of them recording it. Yeah. So if you you know you pull out that tape, you can actually hear. Oh, okay. So that's from there, and that's from there, and here's how Giles glued them together. Yeah, it, it's pretty incredible. Peter Jackson has all this tape, and we have the Nagras and the eight track tapes, and you can get so far into this whole thing, you could actually you know live the experience because it's all there. Pretty much. Again, you know, we, we've talked about w- what it's going to be when you can put it in your Oculus. This is an experience right. that you could probably. Right. You'd have to pick an avatar, though. You, you can't. <laughs> you can't be Paul. Well, you can yeah. be George Martin. <laughs> it's not like he did that much, you know. <laughs> so you can hang around and watch. You're George Martin. <laughs> right. <laughs> And then this goes into to take 10 of Let It Be from the 26th of January. Yeah. And and I like it. It's It's got a great feel to it. Of something like this, this is probably my favorite of the versions. I mean, you, you got John and George singing harmony here. Yeah. Hearing that, you don't need anything else with that. I know st- stuff got recorded later on that got used, but I thought that the... You know, two voices doing the harmony sounded really good. Paul brought Linda in to sing on the session because, well, John can do it, I can do it. And, you know, <laughs> I'm sure there was a little bit of one-upsmanship going on there. I think Mary Hopkin was there, too. So. I, I like it. It's just, it's more of a broken-down version or simpler version, but the band is playing well together. George is doing one of his 32 leads over the top. <laughs> And uh, McCartney's vocal is is relaxed. It's not the intense vocal no. that we would get later. But again, you know, I was, I was saying I like the read the record mirror version. This has that same sort of feel to it in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And then the chat before it is also really kind of interesting. You, we get a pretty good idea of you know how they work together. Let it be. Let it be. Mapping out the song, how it goes, and uh, <laughs> my favorite part is John is like, come on, I only got two notes in this song. <laughs> yeah, go. although I don't know what he's complaining about. <laughs> I don't want to play bass. <laughs> Right. Give me something to do. I don't want to play bass. I only got two notes. <laughs> and I'll slide on both of them. <laughs> then that goes on to the, uh, the January 27th version of uh, I've Got a Feeling. Yes. Ringo's drums are a bit buried. Yeah, but what he does is pretty cool. There, he does some things on this that he doesn't do on the finished record. It's a little faster. I like this version a lot. I don't know if I like it better, but I like it a lot. Yeah. Paul's screamy voice is great. Uh, And Billy Preston. Yeah. This is pretty fun. And then the call and response. I mean, (laughs) John John and Paul are having fun. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They're enjoying playing together, which you don't always get out of, you know, get the get back sessions. I really, this whole disc is pretty joyous for the most part. Right, discs two, the Peter Jackson mix. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then it ends with, with John calling out once again to Glennis. <laughs> right. 
Lynn is. To pick up your candid recording conversation. How many times? <laughs> then we go into Dig a Pony, take 14 from the 28th of January. Yeah. Coincidentally, at the end, John says the other one is much better, or he sings that actually. And yet I like this version, not all the way through, but those weird harmonies that John and Paul sing, because and you, kind of strange little harmonies, they work on this one like they didn't work in other versions. It's like, that's what they were going for. I don't think they really got it very often. Yeah, I mean, this follows along with the Giles Martin idea of what should go on these bonus discs. He doesn't want them to be bootlegs. He wants them to be a disc which is ultimately re-listenable. And this is a very re-listenable disc, as is the next one, actually. Yeah. You might get a couple of funny looks if you put it on at a party, but people (laughs) won't complain too much. No, because they certainly recognize some songs. There's enough rock and stuff going on here. It's like, oh, yeah. okay, yeah. Okay, that's cool. They have it reversed, don't they? Didn't John originally have Dig a Pony going right into I've Got a Fever? Yeah, exactly. So they have these two reversed here. Wow. As we have discovered from these box sets, what Giles likes to do on the outtakes disc is to mirror the actual record, which he doesn't quite do, but he sort of does here. Same songs, different versions. The second best version or, or the most distinct alternative arrangement is really what he likes to pull out. Yeah. And then it's John who says, let's do Get Back. You know, I'm used to thinking, oh, both John and George were sick of Get Back by the end of it, but John <laughs> wants to do it. Yeah. Well, that might have been the clear single at that point. Yeah, that's true. We get... Take 19 of Get Back from the 28th of January. And this is part of the single. Yeah, it's part of the single, and it's part of the the so-called reprise. Yeah. Oh, are you talking about the the laughing bit? Yeah, the laughing bit. The the last 45 seconds or so. The version, I believe, ended with, Get back to where you once belong, and the band stopped. And then that, and then into the, the last little bit of it is from this version. There are a few missed notes. And Paul's vocal is, is again, it's laid back, but um, he's also uh, singing this more as a guide vocal. Yeah. Although, again, they, they all knew the song, so I don't know why he'd, he'd necessarily do a guide vocal unless he just knew that this wasn't it. Yeah, I think sometimes you hear they're trying to do a master, but something ha- happens and they just keep going. And sometimes they add little vocal things in there that say, this isn't the one. <laughs> and, you know, this clearly wasn't it. But they used the la- whole last bit of the song. So I'm glad they kept going. Paul certainly has fun doing some ad libs. I like that little, you know, the, the train chugging sounds. Yeah. Little shouts and noises through the whole last bit of the song. 
So the next bit is called Like Making an Album, which is perhaps the most interesting in terms of the project. Is anyone sort of thinking of this like making an album or more like sort of doing a lot of numbers than to be able to play them all? This is Paul saying, are we doing a show or are we making an album? Well, and this also falls right in line with what they actually did. Here's a set of songs we can do on the roof. And here's another set of songs, largely piano ballads, that won't work in that fashion. Right. So, you know, when, when Ringo says, half to play them and half like an album. Half them yeah. trying to record them. You know, say, say we did half of them this Thursday, and then they didn't have to film the next lot of rehearsals or whatever. Yeah. And then we do another lot and do them in the same place, you know. If we can't... It's just the how we can't learn another five or six good for Thursday. We've just got... Don't let me down, and I've got a feeling just how they should be when we hit it. What we don't know, though, is whether the idea of playing up on the roof was a point at this time. It was a late development, so this may be like, okay, so what are we doing here? Well, and then particularly given John's next comment. Right. He's clearly thinking it's still a live show, but it's a live show divided into two parts with two different audiences. Right. And then we'll just cut them together. And that would be both the album and the TV show. I, you know, I guess they were still thinking about a TV show at that point. You know, if, if this Apple, then they really are staring the departure of Ringo in the face. It's coming. So they didn't really have much time. If, if John says this Thursday, then it's right up on them. So I don't know when they plan to do the next seven. That's a good question. They would have discovered the mess that Alex made at Apple Studios. He didn't do anything. When we finally got him to do a recording studio, we had a 16-track studio, and we walked in there. It was chaos. We had to rip it all out and start again. He had, like, 16 little speakers all around the room. You know, there wasn't anything he ever did. Uh, So we used the same portable. We just took the portable equipment in there. But the studio itself, the the actual room to play in... uh, was much nicer and much cozier and uh, much more at home, you know. Yeah, that would have been an interesting couple of days <laughs> when they discovered this thing was a joke. I, I think Glenn John said that they did a mix. They attempted to record, and it was so bad that they, you know, had to find something else. I can't even believe they did that. There's that weird thing that oh okay 64 tracks that means we're gonna have 64 speakers around the room and supposedly he actually started to install them (laughs) that's just bizarre (laughs) well i mean to to a certain extent he was right that is what atmos is you got a bunch of mono speakers lined up and then you can just you know place things in the 3d sound stage well oh my gosh he was a visionary I think he envisioned things, but he had no idea how to make them come about. Right. Anyway, so that's, that's that conversation is really key, and it's. I think I may have heard it on the Nagras before, but it's you know so buried and under incidental noises that that it never struck me the way it does here, where it's right up front. It does kind of explain though that 
that when you look at their recording schedule, I mean, they went right into other songs. John was working on I Want You, She's So Heavy uh, in February. Yeah, exactly. So so that might have been one of the next seven songs, you know, at least in their head. That was what was happening. They weren't going back up on the roof. Well, I mean, he, he and he actually played just a tiny little bit of it up on the roof. Uh, do you know what you're listening to at the moment here? I don't know. I don't really. You don't know? No. Is it the Beatles? It's the Beatles, yes. yes. Would you like to come this way, please? You're listening to the uh, Beatles music. Do you like the Beatles music? Yes. Do you buy their records? Sometimes, yes. It's nothing which is, you know, identifiable, but it's there. And, you know, on, on his birthday, which is the 25th, Harrison recorded demos of something and Old Brown Shoe and and All Things Was Pass. The idea of recording more for this particular album may have lasted a little bit longer. What comes up next is something that we were actually asking about. It's like we hadn't really thought about the studio versions of 1 After 909, and here's one of them, Take 3 from the 29th of January. Yeah, this one strikes me as interesting in that George, you know, his playing on this is kind of all over the place, not very distinctive. And it was the very next day that he cut the rooftop version. And it's pretty different. Yeah, you know, he may have just been fooling around trying to see whether there was something else he could do. You know, the feel of the song is different as well. Well, you put Billy Preston on the piano, it's going to be very different. You compare this with his playing on the organ, it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. This is almost sort of going back to a pre Beatles version of something they might have done. I was listening to the guitar and it reminded me of She's a Woman. It's just interesting the take they did a day later was as different as it was to this. It's a different feel. So you got Billy playing the piano on the studio version. It's entirely possible that they ran through this way back when in Hamburg when Billy was with Little Richard. Huh. That's a thought. We know that they spent hours just hanging around. Right. And this was written, so. Maybe the arrangement that they're doing here, it harkens back to something they might have had in 62. Yeah. And we don't know that. Yeah. Their first studio version was in... 63. Right. During For Me To You. Is that that session? Yeah, I, I believe so. So maybe going over it with... Billy at that time helped form it. Paul's ad lib during the little talky bit. I, I like that. That's them in a Hamburg club. Either that or it's Paul looking into the future uh, and the girl is mine. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. There's a lot of things Paul can do. Uh, Soul style talky bits. Not at the top of the list. (laughs) Yeah. But it's fun. For sure. Then that moves on to uh, the first rooftop performance of Don't Let Me Down. Yeah. It's good. John's having fun. Yeah. His vocal is great. Yes, and this is one of the three-part harmony versions. And and, uh, and the harmonies are fully in place. Yeah, it's a looser-feeling version, but it's good. But again, you know, it's them enjoying themselves. Yeah, 
I think they did Don't Let Me Down several times on the rooftop. Yeah, they did. And this was the first version, so they perhaps knew that this wasn't the one either. What are they going to do with that in the film? We'll see. Are they right. going to give us all the versions to get back and all the versions that don't let me down? That might be interesting. <laughs> well, it would be interesting if it's cut up. Don't run it continuous all the way through. Run a couple versions and do something else and come back and run a couple more versions. Yeah. So you, you don't really want the rooftop performance as is, just, you know. What they well, start even with. if it's complete, you can do it by here's the first 15 minutes. Then we're going to tell some other story. Then here's the next 15 minutes. And then we're going to tell some other story. Then here's the conclusion. Right. I really can't wait for this. We're into November now. It's coming down the pike. Quickly. Yeah. Yeah. It's Halloween, so the dogs are barking. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, what, what can we do about that? It's Halloween, everybody. Then we move on to... Uh, Take 19 of Long and Winding Road. This is also very good. It's, it's the Let It Be Naked version. Good version. He's really cognizant of the melody. It sounds great. He asks somebody if they're all right. I don't know who he's speaking to. Are you all right? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Making sure John's not falling down. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, this one, he still isn't quite sure of the lyrics, what he's going to decide on. Yeah, it's the so, Any Way You've Always Known version. Yeah. It's a bit bare bones. I think had they picked something like this for the final version, it would have needed at least some overdubs. Not what Spectre did and, and not the uh, reverb that Glenn Johns would put on it. But uh, you know, it could have used some overdubs from this version. It's a little bit bare bones. Yeah. Had it come out in this concept album it would have just been accepted as part of the concept it's bare bones and it's just the band and that would have been a cool thing this is just the band playing no overdubs no oh wait there's choirs and orchestra and and you got paul singing the organ line kind of like uh, in something the the version of something where you got george singing the guitar solo <laughs> right i thought that's kind of neat yeah And then it ends with just a deep breath. So they were pretty pleased with it at that point. Yeah. Uh, and then the last track, well, the last little medley here is from the, the 3rd of January, 1970. So we're a year later. We've got the Everly Brothers tune. Wake up little Susie. Paul and George. Yeah, because John wasn't there. John wasn't there. John was in Denmark. <laughs> John had quit the band. As we'll hear at the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> 
Unfortunately, we have no Nagras, so we only get just this little tiny snippet of them singing in harmony, you know, wake up, Susie, wake up. And I would have loved to have heard the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Even this late, they were having fun. They were enjoying themselves. Right. Even Wake Up Little Susie fits the concept of what was going on album-wise. I mean, they played songs just to kind of warm up and get into things. Yeah. It's also interesting, considering what we were talking about, you know, it's like, well, could they have ever gone back and worked some more on these tracks in this mode? And yeah, they actually probably could have. Right. You know, they were able to come back a year later and at least to a certain extent bring the same kind of feel to the sessions. Yeah. Then we get Take 11 of I Me Mine. George is only singing just barely. Yeah, this was not anything but a, a run-through, in effect. It's largely an instrumental, but yeah. it's not bad. No, and the fact that there are absolutely no overdubs on this, it, George's guitar part comes through better than anything I've heard, and it's still short. It's that minute 40. Yeah, but it's cool. It's a good song. And then the disc ends with... <laughs> this is famous. We've heard the first part of this chat before. <laughs> you know, George's... You all will have read that... Uh... Dave D's no longer with us, but Mickey and Titch and I decided to carry on the good work that's always gone down in number two. But we get a little bit more. Right. What Dozy says goes for me and Titch. (laughs) (laughs) They had a good time together. It's all the other stuff that... The business stuff, yep. Yeah. much of dave d dozy mickey and tish i i've heard the records but that's kind of all i really know about them they were really a british thing i never made it over here and all i ever knew of them was seeing their name in various music magazines i don't know i mean the only connections i've you know had with them as far as knowing them is from this quote Uh, nonetheless, I guess they were referencing them just because, although, as we mentioned previously, well, the monkeys broke up just about the same time for good, and uh, as did Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> yeah. So well, George could have referenced any one of those. Apparently there was a memo. It's 1970. <laughs> Get the hell out of here. <laughs> I've always wanted to see them uh, film the theoretical commercial with the Lennon and Art Garfunkel talking about their respective Pauls. (laughs) That was good. Hello, I'm John. (laughs) I used to play with my partner, Paul. 
I'm, uh, I'm Paul. I used to play with my partner, Art. I'm Andy. I used to play with my partner, Claudine. <laughs> Uh, this partner of yours, did you two do anything creative? In creative, um, creative, Michael? Well, I guess you could say we came up with three hits. Oh, that's very good. Yes. Art and I did that in one day. Oh, you did? Uh, well, we were a little slow. Uh, you know, the music that you fellows wrote, though, uh, really did influence my life. It influenced it quite a bit. As a matter of fact, it helped uh, tell the story of me and my partner. Ah, any songs in particular, Andy? <laughs> well, let's see, it started off, I Wanna Hold Your Hand, and it finished with Bridge Over Troubled Water. True. <laughs> touching, touching. Shall Thank we you. get on with it? Let's do it. Yeah, okay. My God. So this is what Dawn does, is it? Mm. For, oh. For Record of the Year, Grammys, to artist and producer, the nominees are... Olivia Newton-John for I Honestly Love You, John for our producer. That's Maria Moldar for Midnight at the Oasis, Lenny Warnaker and Joe Boyd producers. And the winner is... Exciting. Oh, two Grammys, I Honestly Love You, Olivia Newton-John, producer John Farrar. Jolly good, jolly good. Accepting the award for Olivia Newton-John is Art Garfunkel. It's one of you's Ringo. I, I thought I told you to wait in the car. Are you ever getting back together again? Are you guys getting back together again? No. <laughs> it's terrible, isn't it? Still writing, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> Trying my hand at a little acting on it. Where's Linda? Uh, oh, well, too subtle, that one. All right, are we going to give it in? There you are, my dear. I oh, accept it on behalf of them. They can't be here, and I'm sure they're very grateful for the uh, honor. And Art is back with his son doing something. I just saw that in the last day or two on Facebook. Oh. I'm Artie Garfunkel, and this is my little ad for coming back to the stage, how I've missed performing. It's been over a year now. So I want to gather with my audiences this fall and... This is my calling card. Welcome back, Carfunkel. That is disc two. The overall review, great disc. <laughs> it's a lot better than I would have expected. Yeah. It's actually probably more listenable than the Glenn Johns disc. I mean, the Glenn Johns disc we have to have just for history. Yeah, I mean, the, the Glenn Johns disc sounds better. It's just the overall feel of this particular disc is more of a band playing together and enjoying that and talking between songs. And, you know, so in some ways it's more in keeping with, you know, what the Beatles said they were looking for. 
the most depressing disc is the Spectre disc, is disc one. <laughs> so far, that's right. And, you know, what do we have left? All we've got left is disc three. Right. And But, you know, it could be terrible. We haven't, we haven't uh, talked well, about this, it yet. Well, this is true. It could be but, really, really awful. So That's pretty unlikely, I think. You know, it's, it's Abbey Road tracks. And so. Well, if you haven't heard it. Come back next week and find out, and, and we'll and we will fully <laughs> give our opinions on that without dogs and without children outside. <laughs> right, <laughs> watch out for turkeys. And then on to get back. Yeah, hard to believe it's it's almost here. That's going to be so much fun. All right, great. So we'll be back next week with that show, and we'll see you then. Yep, disc three. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we could be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California. I don't want to just do something that gives someone to put someone on a shelf. Does that make sense? So, and all the people that go... Oh, how come you didn't put, you know, there's a great snippet. And you just go, well, you've got it anyway. You own it anyway. You've got the bootleg. It's like, it's like you know, this isn't, this is, I'm worried about my kids going, I've never heard the Beatles and putting on one of these tracks and going, God, they weren't very good, yeah. were they? It, to a certain degree. Because it's kind of not for the, the generation that, that want this stuff it's yeah listen I, I, the beatles fans are the most amazing fans in the world however what really intrigues me is people going wow this band are great you know my kids now listen to things on spotify or what or an apple or whatever and now i'm in the car with my daughter going to take her to school and she's like playing me you know billy eilish followed by the chain by fleetwood mac you know followed by here comes the sun it's like there's no there's no rules in what they listen to followed by Eminem. It's like, you know, and so <laughs> if if maybe a, a an outtake of Maggie May came on, she might go, I don't really like the Beatles. <laughs> really valid points. I tell you one thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals, but they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going. Turned up nice again.